Well, good evening and welcome everyone to this edition of Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. I am Peter Slayton, your host and executive director of Crucial Productions. This is a presentation of Crucial Productions. And tonight joining me is once again, Pastor Andrew Dirks. Wave hi to the people, Pastor Dirks. Hello. Except for the ones on the podcast, because they're just listening, so they can't see you waving. And Pastor Dirks is pastor of Trinity Lutheran in Ahrensville, Illinois. And joining us for the first time is Pastor Steve Andrews from St. Matthew Church in St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Lee's Summit, Missouri. All the way yes. over on the other side of the state from where I'm at. He's over near Kansas City. I'm in St. Louis. And welcome. We are glad you are joining us for this large catechism study tonight. We are going through the second and third commandments. If you have your... Uh, Concordia, the Lutheran Confession, second edition handy as you're following along with us. We're going to be going from pages 364 to 370 tonight. But first, if you are not following us on Facebook, you can go find us on Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast, which is available on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play Music. And uh, just open up your podcast app and subscribe to Crucial Productions. You can do a search. It's easy to find. And if you want to join in the discussion during the week, because this is part of a reading plan, a daily reading plan, where we are going through the large catechism together. And this crucial conversation series is a supplement to that reading plan. If you want to be a part of that, join the Grokmoot on Facebook. The link is down below in the description. Click on that. Make sure you answer the three questions or I won't let you in. And I have to like the answers too. So uh, if you have questions... While you're listening right now, if you are watching us live, then go over to the YouTube comments. We are watching those comments. We'll take your questions there, and I'll ask the pastors here. If you are listening to this via the podcast or watching it afterwards, send your questions to questions at crucialproductions.org, and we'll see if we can fit your question into the next episode as we get going. So that's all the business out of the way, all the housekeeping. Let's start digging into the large catechism. We're going to do the second commandment for the first uh, 20 minutes or so. Then we will switch to the third commandment. So if you've got a handle on the second commandment already, you've mastered it, you're all good. Tune out for the next 20 minutes and join us around 730-ish. Is, is that how that works, guys? 830? <laughs> 830? Oh, yeah. What time zone are we in here? Yes, yes. I'm, I'd be more concerned if people actually tuned out because they figured they've mastered these ones. Yeah. Anyways, who that, among us? Yeah. Who among yeah. us? <laughs> Especially the yeah, these first three. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, not how God. this works. That's not how any of this works. Yeah, pretty much. All right. So, second commandment. And as we talked last week, if you're wondering why the second commandment isn't "You shall have no graven images," we talked about that last week. So go back and listen to our episode on the first commandment, where we talked through why that's not the second commandment and why, as Lutherans. Our second commandment is this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So, Pastor Dirks, we'll start with you. How do we misunderstand this particular commandment? What are some of the ways we uh, kind of mess this up and think it's something other than what it is? Yeah, I remember going through this uh, commandment as a kid and always picturing it as uh, the no cussing commandment. You know, don't use some naughty words and you'll be all right by this commandment. And I, I know a lot of people who th think of it in such a way, too, because, well, it says don't misuse God's name. It says curse in the meaning in the catechism. So, yeah, no cursing. And you got this one covered, right? N no, <laughs> no. I mean, this well, commandment is go ahead. Even if it's just that, do you have it covered? <laughs> I, I, how well yeah. do we do that one? So last time you stubbed your toe, did you really not actually curse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you have each step of it. it. You know, this commandment, last week's, you know, when we talked about the first commandment, it was the commandment talking about the heart. You know, where do we put our love, our fear, and our trust? That's what the first commandment comes down to. This commandment is the commandment of the tongue. What is going to come out of your mouth? And certainly cursing and stuff like that comes out. Taking a step further, this place where you get worse off is when you start actually cursing, saying Jesus' name in vain. Because unfortunately, you stub your toe. What's that perfect name to say? For some reason, even the pagans know it. To say Jesus Christ as a curse word rather than recognizing it as the blessing it is. 
And so we, you see the sinfulness of mankind, even when people who never really even know anything about Christ, who use his name as a curse. But going to the fullest and worst of the offenses against this commandment comes down to what is being said about your God. When you talk about your God, what is it that you are saying? And I know I did a video back in the Grok mood a while ago talking about false teachers and stuff like that. And the really the chief way this commandment gets broken comes down to what are we saying about God? Do we say right things about him? Are we faithful about what he is? Or do we start going our own ways and making our own stuff up? Yeah. Pastor Steve, what are your thoughts on how we uh, misunderstand this one? Or feel free to add on to what Pastor Dirks has said there. Yeah, just to pick up on what he was saying about taking the, the name of Christ specifically in vain. We we hear that commandment. We only typically think of the word God or or titles. And sometimes we don't even actually think to the name God has given us. Um, one of the ways that I think that we we ignore this commandment is actually knowing the name God gave. In Exodus chapter 3, uh, I believe it's verse 13, 14, in that area, we're learning that the name of God is is Yahweh uh, for us to speak, which is actually a really cool Hebrew phrase. It's simple. It just means he is. Uh, but when we speak God's name, we're actually confessing our faith in him. Uh, and he tells us to do this from generation to generation, to just continue to, to teach that name, to continue to use that name. And here we are, uh, what, 3,500, 4,000 years later, we have no clue what that name is. Yeah. We've actually already got a question in our comments section. I'm going to bring that up right now um, because it's a good introductory kind of question. So last week, when we were talking about the first commandment, we, we frequently say when you break any of the other commandments, you're always breaking the first commandments. And we're actually going to come back to that in this episode, especially as we close. We'll talk about that. But Elizabeth is asking, I know when one commandment is broken, they are all broken. But when a baptized person sins, is the second commandment broken because God's name is on that person? Uh, first, talk to the person who might not be a Lutheran who's confused as to this baptism and God's name being on a person, how that works to begin with. But then second, this whole notion of God's name being applied to someone, being on someone. And so when that person sins, is that commandment broken? Is that a right way of understanding this? Or is there something else going on there? Who wants to take that one first? I can start with that first question. So the idea of, of baptism as, as Lutherans, as we understand the scriptures to teach, is that the Lord in our baptism actually claims us as his own. We are now not just uh, a, a person who is of any faith. We are a child of the one true God. We are his. He puts his name on us, literally, in the words of the baptism, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So as, as Christians... This is a, a actually a really wonderful question, and it's a way we weren't going with the, the notes that we had for our conversation tonight, that to sin against our neighbor in a way that our, our neighbor sees, um, yeah, it, it does put that name of Christ himself, I guess you could say it drags it through the mud. Hmm. Yeah, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we say, hallowed be thy name, we know that God's name is holy in and of itself. God doesn't need our help to be holy. But when we pray that petition of the prayer, we're praying that God would help us to lead godly lives and that faithful preaching would be among us. And so when we pray that petition, we are praying that God would help keep us holy. So, Yeah, and I think something to remember as we're going through these Ten Commandments you know, we're kind of joke. I, I made the joke at the beginning of, you know, if you've got the second commandment covered, well, join us at, you know, 825. But really, as we go through these, the point that hopefully all of us will get is we never actually keep these in the sense where we can say, whew, look at that. I did it. The, the point of the commandments is they're always going to be showing us the depth of our sin. And so as we're going through this episode, yeah. when we're encountering that, we're also going to make sure that especially you as pastors are going to show us, okay, well, where's Jesus? <laughs> yeah. um, because if, if we don't end up taking it to the cross, we're, we're left in despair. So, you know, Elizabeth, this is a fantastic question because it is going to show, yeah, there, there is sin 
involved here as a sinner. Um, but but we don't stop there. That's that's not the end of the story, as it were. So as we're continuing on in this discussion, let's look at Scripture. We, you know, as we're going through the Second Commandment in a large catechism, as Luther lays it out, what Scriptures should we be reading alongside this passage to really help us understand what Luther is saying here? I mean, we got quite a few options as we start looking at the text of Scripture at this point. I mean, one of the things I we I put in the notes here is... Um, there's a Greek word, pros exete. I think I said it almost right. I tend to be pretty bad at this. And I saw the Greek. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I hope you can say that one. I and, know it's Greek. Uh, I'm proud of you for recognizing that, Peter. I'm proud of you, buddy. Anyway, you know, it's this moment where we see this word. It is to be wary or to beware, have caution, take, pay attention. That's really the command of the word. It's, in, it's an imperative telling you what to do. Um, I have my uh, Bible software open right now, and I'm looking at the text, and I, I use Matthew as one of my main kind of teaching books of the Bible. And in almost every single case, you have all but one of them. And that one you can actually even argue to be about this too. That is Jesus saying, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Be, Sadducees. Beware of false teachers. You'll know them by their fruit. And so it's one of these things where one, two, three, four, five, six. Five out of six times when Jesus uses this word in the Gospel of Matthew, it is all about paying attention to the words coming out of people's mouths when they are talking about God. And you jump to the book of Acts and you run into the Bereans. When Paul comes and speaks to them, the thing that marks their character as noble is not that they just accepted what Paul said, but that they checked what he said to Scripture. Because one of the big threats that does exist for the believer and will always exist is false teachers. People who are going to come as ravenous wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing, trying to take away the hope of the gospel. And, you know, putting our fear, love and trust in the true God, the way we break the first commandment with this is a lot of these things appeal to our sinful nature. God's going to give me a whole bunch of money. God's going Ooh. to make me wealthy. That'd be great. I got student loans. That'd be great. God is going... God is going to make sure I don't get sick. God is going to take care of all these other things. And it's why every single ordination I've been to has used the text from 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'll just read that real quick. I charge you in the presence of God and, and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with a complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And the charge that's given to pastors among this one and the charge indirectly given to laity is to make sure that the thing being spoken in the pulpit clings faithfully to God's word, that they are faithfully teaching Christ crucified for the sake of sinners. Hmm. Pastor Andrews, what are your thoughts there? What should we be looking at in Scripture? Yeah, I, I've never actually done a count. I don't know, Pastor Dirks, if you've done a count of how many warnings we have in the New Testament about false teachers. It's a plethora, though. They're everywhere. Uh, we had one just this past weekend in the lectionary uh, readings with 1 John chapter 4. Uh, John wrote, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The, the encouragement of the scriptures of Christ and of the apostles and the disciples is indeed, as, as you were saying, to, to, to look to what these people are teaching. Not just the, the words coming from outside of our congregations, but even within. Uh, the pastor is, is held to this as well. That we should not just assume that because we wear... Uh, the collar that everything we say is going to be okay. Hmm. I, I like what first what First John four continues on in the next verse and says, "By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God." N not that the solution to this commandment is to confess Christ, but talk about. You know, you've got, you've got, here's the, you shall not, but then there's always the gift that comes along with, you know, one of the things Luther pulls out is here's the things you shouldn't do. And oh, by the way, here's the gift that comes with what you should be doing. And I think first John chapter four gets into that, but 
talk a little bit about some of the gifts that what should we be doing instead? Um, not that if I do, I've, I've succeeded and I've kept the commandment. We're not looking at in those terms, although it's really easy to do that. Um, but but what, what are these things that we should be doing instead? Where, what do we look towards as this, this is good? This is what good looks like. This is what fulfilling the law looks like. Yeah, there, there are a few other things we could cover on the negatives, but I think this is a very good, important thing to kind of recognize here. With the, set, you know, with the first commandment, we didn't, I don't know if we mentioned it last week, God gives himself to us. He gives himself to be our God and that we can be his people, which is astonishing because we don't deserve that at all. Yeah. I mean, the fact that God willingly comes in to be our Savior, to be our Lord, is amazing. And with this commandment, he gives us his name that we can call upon it at any time and in any place, that we have the opportunity to be able to say, to pray to our Lord, whether it be grabbing one of the Psalms, which is, you know, the prayer book of the church, or it be walking down the street and praying to God to defend us in the midst of any kind of trouble. We have an opportunity that we can go to God at any time and in any place, not just when bad, not just when good, but any time. And he listens. It's an incredible, I mean, how loving is this God that we have? Hmm. Yeah. And if, if one of the ways that we break this commandment is by false teaching, then one of the ways that we at least strive to keep the commandment is to try to keep our teaching faithful and, and true. Um, and that, again, is, is what you hear in your congregation, but it's also what you, as, a, as just a, a, what you do with your family and, and what you do with your, your, your spare time on your own, what kind of teachers are you listening to? Uh, what kind of teaching are you sharing with other people as well? Yeah, I think we've all had the horrible experience when we'll post something faithful about what Christ has said and we get one or two likes. Then somebody posts something from some false teacher that just, some, God is so nice. It's a great thing. And they get like hundreds of likes because of it. <laughs> yep. You have to get a million shares if you're confessing heresy. But, you know, if you're going to confess something that's actually orthodox and Hate speech. true and right. Yeah. Itching yeah, ears. Yeah, today with the Facebook bug. Woo! Uh, what, are, what are what are some things that we may not consider to be breakings of this commandment today, but actually are? You know, things that we don't even think about. You know, oh yeah, that's that's not second commandment, but it actually is a second commandment issue. Calling Miss Cleo. Wants to go first. Calling Miss Cleo. Cleo. I, Is hopefully, Cleo even around? I don't. Still? I don't think anymore. I just remember all those commercials from when I was a kid and when she ended up on all the talk shows. Which I, I always remember the statement: "Why, why, why do you not see psychics winning the lottery?" Is because they're all they're all fakes. But the recognition here is that recognizing that these kind of things. When I talk about this in catechism, actually, what I do is I, you know, they'll, they'll read the debt, what Luther gives as the meaning of the commandment, and I say, "What's kind of the weird one?" that stands out to you. And always they go, you satanic arts. They, they recognize that as one that, that doesn't seem to fit in right here, but it comes down to the object of your prayers. Who are you praying to? Who are you leaning on? Because the only one who's worthy of our fear, love, and prayers is the true God. You know, the text we could bring up with this that particularly stands out to me is 1 Samuel 28 with the uh, medium of Endor, or uh, not Ewoks, but different location <laughs> but uh you have saul who was supposed to kill all the uh mediums and everything and yet there he goes and finds one to try and draw samuel out to speak to him from the dead yeah not not those ones not, not I, here. I do like that pez dispenser though <laughs> is that wicked it is it's wicked yeah the w wicked pez dispenser <laughs> Woo but it, it is a case where you, you recognize this as calling upon something that doesn't deserve that to be called on and that's when you start running into, you know, any of the occult is when you start running into messy stuff. And I always tell the kids, I'm not afraid to deal with the consequences of it. I just rather not have to do an exorcism or anything like that. So just don't do this stuff. Problem look, solved. Look, I know I'm your pastor, but I don't want to cast a demon out from you if I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, you know, just convenience things for me. Be convenient yeah. for me, children. Just so make just, my job easier. Just walk walk right by that Ouija board. Don't mess with that one. Oh, yeah, you see that in Target. I mean, you walk through the game yeah. aisle in Target, and there's the Ouija board. Yeah, right I, I, 
I show my kids the link. There's this uh, bright pink Ouija board that I've seen. It's like, nothing says little girl fun, like summoning a demon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're, I, I'm laughing. But at the same time, it's like, this it's is horrifying. This is sad. This is, yeah, this is awful. Um, Ouija boards actually, like a couple generations ago, were considered just fun party things to do. And everybody did it, apparently. Um now at least we have a little bit of a semblance of wait generally in the culture i think we generally think it's not a great thing but yeah still you see it at target uh, what, what are some other things we might not expect uh pastor andrews to show up in this commandment but actually do i think just the way that we attach the lord's name to different things uh one of the things luther mentions that really probably doesn't fit our cultural context uh in the in the large catechism though is the breaking of an engagement so you get engaged, and in our in our culture, it's probably just a promise. You know, I promise to be faithful to you. I promise that you know, one day, uh, however long in the future that is, one day we'll get married uh, and start our family together. Um, but in that day, the the more firm connection, the engagement was was very close to marriage itself, um, even in the scriptural time as well. And so to break off the engagement, Luther is saying is to, again, to tarnish the name of God because you have made that promise, you've made that oath uh, before the Lord as well. And so we do that too with other things. I don't know that we see as much today of, you know, the swearing on the Bible, uh, like in the courtroom. I don't know that they do that as much as they used to. Um, but to take an oath, to, to attach ourselves, to bind ourselves to things, um, one of the things Jesus brings up in the Sermon on the Mount it's it's interesting bringing up the the engagement because Luther actually talks uh, line paragraph sixty eight he talks about per people perjuring themselves in their wedding vows and it's interesting as we continue this study uh, of the Ten Commandments how the interrelatedness of these things you know it, you're almost never well we've already said you're never breaking one commandment without also breaking the first but mm -hmm. in this in this case Luther specifically talks about perjuring your your wedding vows and i think of the divorce rate um the cohabitation you know living together whether you intend to get married or not and and the way people commit or don't commit themselves to each other luther is making that a, a second commandment issue he's saying look this is you before god and is, is he doing that because marriage is is instituted by god it's his it's his estate that he has placed how is he making this connection because as i read this i'm thinking well you got you got divorce and adultery and other stuff that'll come into this as well i wouldn't have ex i would have i would have expected those to just be you know sixth commandment issues but he's bringing some of this up in the second commandment well it is this, exactly oops, sorry go ahead i was gonna say i, I don't, this isn't in our notes this just kind of popped up so let's run with it this is that exact <laughs> observation from before about how when you break one commandment no you break them all that's coming from james is the one who tells us that flat out and it is very much a case we remember jesus's own words what god has brought together let no one separate because before in this as they enter into this marriage they are being united as one flesh as one people giving that vow that they are going to be together till death us do part and so to say, I'm going to stick with you till I drop dead and then saying, well, you're now inconvenient for me. I'm going to get rid of you, even though, you know, ends up being a breaking of that word, breaking of our vow. And in a lot of cases, using that name of Christ to deceive or to cause harm, which is exactly what we do not, you know, what is commanded against. Well, and to in the actual service of a wedding, the couple is asking for the pastor and the congregation to speak god's blessing upon their marriage so couples don't often take that as seriously as we ought um, for example the, the cohabiting couple that's already uh, living in sin together and and saying we don't really need this marriage thing but maybe we'll just take this step anyway and and pastor just go ahead and, and speak the blessing upon us so god is okay with what we're doing hmm. Um, because we want pretty pictures to be able to show later, but that's the pessimist in me talking. <laughs> we 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 have another question uh, from Elizabeth in the YouTube comments, and I'm gonna let, we'll we'll answer this question, and then let's move into the third commandments. And if you guys have more to talk about the second commandment, we'll bring that in at the at the end there. But Elizabeth asks, um, maybe as I had mentioned, you know, stubbing my toe earlier. If one stubs a toe or something terrible. 
and then cries out, Lord, have mercy. Is that a correct use or misuse of God's name? Does it depend on our heart or if we believe God will have mercy on us? Who wants that one first? It's bad. Full House came to mind. The, uh, <laughs> the old character, have mercy. Um, <laughs> I think that's a little bit of a different context with, uh, well, with uh, Uncle Jesse there. As he yeah, used but, it, but yeah, but how are we using the phrase? You know, as she sure. mentioned it in the question, you stub your toe, you're in pain. Lord, have mercy, put an end to my pain is, is very different than calling out a, a swear or a curse word. Um, Lord have mercy probably could be used in that that context, but yeah, I mean, how we say it does make a difference. Sure. Yeah, turning it into making sure it's under the perspective of you know an understanding of a prayer in that kind of light. Otherwise, you can just start what I'm trying to train myself to do and just yell false gods and false prophets out when I stub my toe or something like that. Saw Vishnu. Ah, just to be able to you know. Because it, it is it is a sign of our natural flesh that it goes straight to being able to curse God's name. And, and you know, none of these other ones show up under that. And so it's kind of wanting to, you know, let's curse the ones who deserve to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I think that the heart question is an important one, too, because we, we can very, we, well, let me put it this way. All of us want to justify ourselves and whatever it is that we're doing and so it can be very mm -hmm. easy to say well you know it's it's it was a prayer therefore it's okay but the but the realization is that there's more going on than just the prayer you know if i'm exclaiming in anger i am as a christian trying to say lord have mercy as a prayer but the reality is it might not only be that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 a case of, you know, there, the intent is there. You can turn Lord have mercy into a curse by making it your thing when you say when you get hurt. And yeah. so it's making sure you keep it as the intent of a prayer, not letting it become something that you just yell naturally because you hurt yourself there. Again, hence why I would rather just yell all those other things. <laughs> but it's the same it's the same thing as when we you know you make the comment about trying to justify ourselves saying omg instead of saying oh my god as an exclamation we, yeah. we act like this is you know taking the entire sin away when it's the same thing no it's the exact yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> you're not doing anything different by saying or typing omg than if you were actually actually saying it yeah yeah all right let's let's move on to the the third commandment here um, kind of similar questions as, as we go through this. What are ways, first of all, in which we misunderstand um, the third commandment and maybe don't recognize things that are actually third commandment issues that actually are? Uh, Pastor Andrews, let's uh, start with you first on this question. I like the way that Luther connects this to the idea of a holiday. We think of a, a holiday just, oh, yeah, uh, work gave me the day off, or I get a three-day weekend, or maybe a four-day weekend if you're lucky. Um, breaking it down in the English, holiday, holy day, that the day is set apart for, for a purpose, and that that purpose is often to be rest. Um, so on the base level of the commandment, the idea that we would just simply take the time to rest. You know, God made the earth in six days. Uh, takes day seven off, but the Sabbath rest for us, it's almost like God was, was saying, you know, I made all of this in six days. Do you think that if you take a little time to rest, I can keep the earth spinning and keep you fed? <laughs> no, no, actually, I don't believe that because I'm a sinner. <laughs> yeah, that gets back to commandment number one. Do you trust God? Yep, yep. Pastor Dirks. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I hear when, when it comes to it, I think a way to kind of see some of the misunderstandings about the third commandment show up is when you hear people's excuses, why we don't keep it. For example, you have someone say, well, you know, I feel God more when I'm out fishing than I am when I'm in that old church with all those white haired old people. Well, you see the understanding they have is worship is about feeling Jesus, which no, that's not what we're here for. We're not here for some kind of feeling. We're not here for some kind of work that we're doing to make God happy with us. Mm -hmm. We're here, as Pastor Steve said, to rest, 
to receive from our God his gifts and to be able to receive his gifts. I mean, yeah. the first person to act when we show up to church isn't us. <laughs> it is God himself coming to be present among us, to bring his gifts to us. And this is a thing you don't really get anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing's interesting that I think we should talk about right off the bat here, um, especially as we're talking about misunderstandings, is Luther does something very interesting as he talks about this commandment. So most simply, he, he in this translation that we're using here of the large, of large catechism, page 367, line 78, if you're following along, you shall sanctify the holy day. Now, Growing up with, with my background, uh, American evangelicalism, you know, standard American Christianity, my understanding of the third commandment was basically you go to church and you rest. And, and in reading this, the text of Scripture, because we'll get to that too, that's basically it. You go to church and then you don't do any work on Sunday, and that's what the commandment is. Luther doesn't start there. He, he seems to make a different move, and people who are maybe first encountering uh, Lutheran doctrine, this Christ-centered doctrine that we have, can, can kind of be thrown off by this one. You know, as we get into the rest of the commandments, most people are like, okay, yeah, we're good. But when, when we skip the second commandment, and now our third commandment, which is supposed to be the fourth, all of a sudden is worded <laughs> totally differently. And Luther seems to be talking about something else entirely, and he's not telling you that you have to go to church, and if you work at all, you're sinning. He's, or at least he's not saying it in the way I expect him to say. What what is Luther doing here, and and how does he get this from Scripture? Walk us through that, uh, because it is different than what you might encounter in other Christian traditions. Who wants to do that? Go ahead, Pastor first? Steve. <laughs> All right, go, Pastor, Pastor uh, Andrews. You pass it off. It. Pass it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in. I think it's paragraph 8081, that area there, Luther is acknowledging the, the idea that it was an ordinance, the actual Sabbath. So rather than just taking the, the word rest and, and going that direction, the, the Sabbath rest that was given to God's people, you can read about it in Exodus, Leviticus, uh, lots of places in the Old Testament. There was a Sabbath day once a week. There was a Sabbath year. I mean, imagine a whole year off. Uh, and then when you come to the seven times seven, year 50, the year of the Jubilee, I mean, they had a whole system around the Sabbath. And so part of what Luther's doing here is just acknowledging this was, this was the Jewish practice. That was an ordinance. It was a ritual that God had given to them. Uh, and so that's where he's going. And I think in paragraph 82, where he says, this commandment, therefore, in its literal sense, does not apply to us Christians. And then he concludes the paragraph saying that uh, they have been made matters of freedom through Christ. And that connects then to what Jesus is doing in the, the gospel reading, uh, where he's walking with the, the disciples and they're plucking the heads of grain. The Pharisees get upset and start asking, well, why are you letting them work on the Sabbath? And Jesus' response is, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Just like when Jesus at other times heals on the Sabbath. And upsets the Pharisees in that way. They he's all actually see working. Him. He's working. Well, which one of you, if your donkey fell into your son fell into a water donkey, whichever, you know, same difference. You would pull them out of the well. I mean, this is recognizing that exactly that man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for us. And it really comes down to what sanctifies the holy day. It's not that I sit on, sit down and rest the entire day. It's the word of God that's you know sitting on my bum all day does not sanctify the holy day. It is the word Man, of God. I've been doing a lot of sanctifying lately, if that were every every single day is sanctified, if that were the case in my life. You know, <laughs> it, it it is the case where the thing that sanctifies the holy day is the word of God. And as we go out, we have an you know, we can go out and go and work and do other things on the day of the holy day. I've mowed my lawn after doing going to worship and everything. And I was still meditating on the text. That you That's because you were spending time with Jesus in nature, Brother Dirk. Oh, of course. Get those feels <laughs> right there. There's, there's you more know, Jesus mowing my lawn than in the congregation in the morning? Uh-oh. Well, to be fair, if, if you're going to try to find Jesus in nature, my lawn sometimes is a place where it gets pretty 
you know, I, I take some time to mow every time. So it seems like it's pretty wild in that. <laughs> <laughs> now I forgot where we were going. Where we were going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it is the word of God that sanctifies the welcome. holy day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it is. And, and that's, I think, where Luther goes later in this same section is he, he sneaks in the idea of daily devotion. You know, it's not like you're just going to take one hour a week or even a day a week and this is what you give to god but rather no we're deuteronomy 6 we're talking about god all the time we're teaching our children uh, in everything that we do uh so yeah he sticks in his basic idea of a devotion which is that you would you know recite the ten commandments the creed and the lord's prayer hmm. what, what other scriptures should we be looking at here uh, as we're as we're discussing this particular commandment, where should we be looking to understand uh, the commandments itself, but also how you know how Luther gets to where he gets? When we look at a Luther's approach to it, we were you know when Luther you know just like we said directly according to the actual day of the Sabbath, we're not bound to rest on Saturday, but he turns it into recognizing the time to hear the word of God. You know we fear and love God so that we do not despise the word or its preaching, but gladly hear and learn it. And it's in recognition, Romans 10, 17, flat out says, faith comes by hearing. And so when we, you know, it's a lot of times when we have these ideas of thinking, well, I'm good enough to be out here by myself and learn more about Jesus all on my own. Well, that's not the place where faith is granted. Faith comes by hearing that word of God, both read and preached. It comes by that word of God through which the Holy Spirit works, calling us to faith again and again, you know, calling us from our own sin, calling us to repentance, helping us to continue to learn and grow more in our knowledge of our Savior. And so we recognize that this commandment, you know, keeping it, we want to hear that word. Where, where does church uh, fit into this? You started talking about where we hear that word, Pastor Dirks. Where, where does church fit into this commandment? If, if it's not a legalistic, you have to go to church or else, kind of proposition um but there is an encouragement to go to church where where does that where where does church attendance being part of a congregation being a a member of a local church fit into this whole thing uh, pastor andrews how about you start on that well the the rebuttal that we hear and that pastor dirks has shared a few times already the idea that you can get god anywhere um i heard it phrased this way once does God have to forgive you? And you could go either way on that if you want to. I mean, no, he doesn't have to, but he does. Or you could say, well, yes, he does because he promised that he would. Okay, well, where did he promise that God that he would forgive you? And then we can start actually connecting with Scripture, something like Matthew chapter 26, where we see the, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and we actually hear Jesus say that this is for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, now, all of a sudden we need forgiveness where do we find forgiveness well here it is jesus just promised you in the lord's supper you receive that forgiveness uh we get that also with matthew 18 john 20 when we're talking about the absolution we see it with baptism as well and in multiple places in the new testament like first peter three twenty one, baptism now saves you well where are you going to go for the baptism uh where are you going to go for the lord's supper where are you going to go for absolution christ has made these promises and he's given you a place to get them right there in the local congregation. And when Christ all, you know, when whenever God has worked among his people, you've actually you've seen structure to it. You've seen some kind of gathering that's happening among the people, whether it be Noah after the flood takes place, he builds an altar. You see the covenant given at Sinai, which is where we start seeing a lot of that structure start doing. And you can see, you know, all that temple worship was all about as a place where people would be able to be pointed to the coming sacrifice. And then finally, we see really the fullness of, you know, we see the fullness of the sacrificial system with Christ on the cross. And we see the, you know, the fullness and continuation of the church happening on Pentecost. On Pentecost Day, you have the first 3,000 people hearing that word of God coming to faith, and the text immediately continues with, and they gather around with the disciples to hear the word and to you know, have the breaking of the bread, which we mm. understand to be the sacrament. And so immediately as the church in instituted, that's what it does. 
The church has always gathered as uh, uh, around the word of God as it is preached, as the sacraments are given. This is the place where God has promised to be, saying, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, so I shall be also. This is the place where God has always promised to work. Yeah. And so we trust God to, you know, be faithful in his promise. And you look, you know, you hear the Revelation text, and in some ways it sounds like it's much the same, continuing on into eternity. Hmm. One of the beautiful things about that first tabernacle, indeed, that you mentioned there is that all the sacraments are foreshadowed in it. As you look at the design and the building of it, you can see the bread of the presence. You can see uh, the, the basin where they were supposed to wash, the altar that's outside. Uh, it's mm. just God already had all this, this in motion. Um, he had his plan drawn up for us. Another Bible passage for this idea, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 14, uh, 15. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day draw near. Hmm. Might be 24, 25, not 14. Yeah, I was, just, I was just looking. I was wondering. It's, 25, it's yeah. verse 25, and 24 and 25. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. This, this, is, this is a typo in the notes. It's not that we're that... Uh, Curse you, Slayton. Uh, hey! There's a kid on the screen. There's a kid on the screen. I copied and pasted that one into our show prep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about the role of, uh, we talked to, initially, I think one of you pastors talked about faith coming by hearing, but let's just reiterate that again, Romans 10, 17, um, and and how that fits in to, to all of this as well. I think we can never talk about God's word and his promises and where they come too much. You, you just can't yeah. do that. So let's keep talking about that in the context of Romans. Even just thinking through a service and, and how often you hear the word of God in, in one of our Lutheran liturgies, uh, you've got it throughout. Even the songs that we sing, our hymns, are rich in God's word. You get the reading of the word, you get the sermon where the pastor's preaching, uh, proclaiming God's word to you. Um, the sacraments are there as well. All these different ways through prayer, uh, that we get to hear the word of God uh, given to us. And again, yeah, faith comes by hearing. So we want to to hear. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things I really like that the LSB did, the newer Lutheran hymnal, which I, I am at a TLH congregation that still has the one from centuries ago. The 1941 <laughs> hymnal for those who... Uh are not familiar with all our acronyms for our hymnals. Yes, sorry. Yeah. As <laughs> but, opposed to the 2006 or seven. Yeah, 2006. LSB when, is 2006. When we were in college, that's when it came out is what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one, one of the things I like that it does is it has the text of Scripture where every single thing from the yes. divine service is pulled out from. Because it's one of the things, I, I love seeing the moment when kids in catechism, as you study the liturgy, start going, Wait a second. Everything we say is from scripture. Whoa. That, that revelation that they yeah. have, especially when you, when you read Psalm 51 and they get to create in me a clean heart and you just see them go, I know that verse. <laughs> I've got, got it memorized. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, one of the great moments for me is it's every little piece of, of the service is tied to scripture. So there's at one point in the service, um, the pastor says, the Lord be with you. And we say, and also with you. And there's a particular verse that that goes to. And then later on, it's the Lord be with you and with thy spirit. And that's actually a different Bible verse as well. Oh, whenever, whenever there's a cute kid, we just turn this, turn this camera view to that. So I'll talk while you guys can yeah, uh, enjoy like this to cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> we encourage photobombing from our children during this, this particular <laughs> show. Yes, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, I'm sorry you don't get to enjoy the benefit of the cuteness that is currently going on. Um, you'll just have to jump on over to YouTube and, and check it out there. Um, I, w- I want to jump to uh, paragraph 92. Um, where Luther says, whenever, this is going along with what we've already said, whenever God's word is taught, preached, heard, read, or meditated upon, then the person, day, and work are sanctified. So he's he's once again reinforcing this idea of how something is actually made holy, expanding it to any day of the week, any event can be made holy. And I want to bring this up again, once, in the, once again, in the context of there are you can break multiple commandments as you abuse this because 
what about a situation where we, well, let, let's talk about uh, maybe a mixed kind of a service. Maybe it's a mixed faith sort of a service where somebody comes and they are preaching, hearing, reading, praying God's word over that service and attempting to sanctify it. What happens in that kind of a, a, a situation? And I'm, I'm thinking there's, there's some second commandment issues in play here, but let's just talk about how these two commandments can also work. You can break them together, maybe, if you, if you guys know where I'm going with that. So um, what, what does that look like? How, how does that happen? And we're off script again, too. So, you well, know, I'm just throwing you fun curveballs. <laughs> Who wants my curveball first? I took the last one. All right, Dirks, so you got this one first. <laughs> Can you repeat part of it? Just because I want I had a moment where I, is it basically seeing where the second commandment and the third commandment come together? Yeah, sometimes we attempt to sanctify things with God's word that God might not want sanctified. <laughs> Maybe that's another way of putting it. Well, like we talked about before, one of the ways we try to sanctify stuff that God doesn't want us to try to sanctify is when we try to justify ourselves and our own actions. I mean, I know with the discussion of, you know, the word of God being the thing that purifies and everything, I know I, I'm looking back at the notes to draw us back on this course and everything like that. <laughs> but, I, you know, when we talk about when Luther would have days, Luther would say he'd study about an hour, I believe is what it was. But on days when he was busy, he would make sure to study two hours to make sure that his day was set in the right path. And I'm actually jumping to the first a little more than the third because of the, you know, we say, what, what reason do we have for not studying the scriptures and stuff like that? I'm busy. I'm stressed. I got too much to do. I don't but when time. it comes, and we have our idol, our idol there in and of itself. Yeah. And when we look at our, you know, tying it in with the second commandment, again, it comes down to this moment where we try to sanctify something that God is not God pleasing, maybe by twisting the words of scripture to say something it doesn't actually say. And that falls under the second commandment. But in the third, we'd be wanting to make sure we hear it. Because what better way to despise God's word and promises than to change them? Then to twist them to say something very different from what God actually spoke. Hmm. Pastor Andrews, anything to add to that one there? What's more refreshing? What's more restful than God's word and the sacraments that he gives? I mean, to be forgiven and to have that comfort of knowing that that Christ is, is our Savior and that we are his, uh, that's a beautiful gift. Amen. I think... Uh, Part, part of my question that I kind of threw a curveball, you guys, I was thinking of services where Christians are encouraged to join in a religious service with, with other faiths. Oh, okay, I get what you're talking about. <laughs> I, think, I think I get what you're talking about. I was about. trying not to use our, you know, our theological words of, of syncretism or, or unionism, which can come into this. But I think especially other Christians might look at some of us Lutherans and say, you guys are just jerks that you won't go to that service and be a part of that service over there. Um, you know, why, why won't you just, it's just a community event. It's a nice thing. Um, you know, it's, it's all other Christians, you know, so why can't you just be involved with, with other Christians or, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's interfaith, but why, why can't, you know, you're worshiping your God, they're worshiping theirs. What's what's the big deal? The, the, sure. There's there's kind of two steps to this when we would look at this, for, you know, the, the other Christian step and then the other religion steps. I think mean, there's two different things. You know, can I theoretically, could I pray with someone who is also a Christian? Yeah, I could. But when, you know, when we go into a joint service or something like that, despite what people say, let's major in the major and minor in the minors, it's only little differences that we have. Actually, usually the differences are big things like the true body and blood of Jesus Christ being present, or is it a symbol? I mean, grape juice. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's a big thing to Lutherans. The fact yeah. that we have what Jesus said that this is my body and blood, we're going to trust him on this. That's not a little thing. Mm -hmm. And so, it, and when we say we're going to be unified, we're going to put up this front of unity without actually working through and being unified, we're lying. I mean, mm -hmm. All we're doing when we would do a joint service with some of these groups is we lie about saying, oh, yeah, we're all unified when we're not. 
we aren't unified. We disagree. And in some ways, that's for the benefit because those who are true are shown to be true. And it's just that moment where it is an entirely dishonest thing to do a joint service with somebody else saying, oh, let's not worry about those doctrine things. Well, doctrine is the word of God. That it's word a, just means teaching. <laughs> All it means is teaching. It's not a dirty word like people try to turn it into. Stop breaking the second commandment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Pastor Andrews, what, what thoughts do you have on this? Well, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't, if you were a Baptist congregation, you wouldn't want me coming into the pulpit and <laughs> preaching on a text about baptism, right? <laughs> and, and the same way, we don't want the uh, a church, like uh, just a Pentecostal church, coming in and, and preaching on the Lord's Supper. The, the differences are real. They're there. And we have to have some way of saying, look, Yes, you're you're a fellow Christian. We love you, um, but these differences matter, and we can't just sweep them under the rug. We need to talk about them, um, and I think that's an important important thing for us to keep in mind. Yeah, the, we, the irony actually, of all of this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pastor Dirks. Well, we'd be seeking to be reconciled, you know, in those conversations, seeking to reconcile. And you know, this sounds cocky to say, when we, you know, at the very worst, when we die, you'll realize. The Lutherans were right. So, you know. <laughs> well, I'm certainly not going to be a Baptist after I die. That's for sure. No, but, I was going to say the the irony of this is we are uh, actually genuinely attempting to respect the differences in each other's beliefs respect and not each other's consciences. Yeah, respect each other's consciences right. and be honest and say these are different. And because there are differences, let's not pretend that there aren't differences and this comes into the second commandment because we're we have differences in what we believe god has actually said about these things we we hear we both read the same word but we got differences in, in how we understand it not only that if we are then going to take that next step of sanctifying these differences you know for going with the third commandment of you know what what sanctifies something in god's word well, we don't want to take that next step of then having a service together where we're attempting to sanctify these very differences that we have in second commandment issues. Does, does that make sense? Is that a good way of at least bringing it back to these two commandments? Yeah, and we, we'd appreciate it, making sure that it ends up being a two-way street when it happens, but it usually isn't. I mean, <laughs> that's at least my experience as a pastor. I, you know, we're especially when it comes to stuff like closed communion, which we'll be talking about later on in the series, just kind of going into why is it that only Lutherans can commune at the Lutheran rail? Well, we recognize that we would believe we'd be causing you to sin by receiving it in unbelief. And so respect our conscience in this way, because it causes us to believe we sin if we do something like that. And so... The, you know, on the other level of it, you know, you have other things with like syncretism is the fancy word that Peter said before when we would do a joint service with a church of another religion. Mm -hmm. And that's when we break all three of the commandments, all three of the first commandments, because we have it where we basically turn the one true God into a polytheistic deity, just like any of the other ones. We speak false things about him that he says he's okay, that, you know, all these other things are okay when he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And then we recognize it coming in in the third that we're not gathering in the place where he calls us to be, but in some other random thing. Better to be like Elijah, who in a joint service ended up mocking the other things and exposing them for being false. No, we don't kill them like Elijah did. Listen, because he's we, under we don't a advocate covenant. the second part of that, or yeah, we don't yeah. even advocate we, the mocking. We, we, <laughs> the, the, differ the difference is, is Elijah, you know, in that case, Elijah's under the old covenant, which these people, as a people agreed, if they went to false doctrine and false teachings and be false prophets, they were executed. They knew going in with that. Whereas what do we do for false teachers, people of false religion? We call them to repentance. We pray for them. We seek them to be restored to a right relationship with God instead of the condemnation that truly comes because in, oh, I have need to bring the verse up. The verse right after the giving of the second commandment. Get this up real quick. Oops. Let me just bring the whole thing up. I know I'm wasting everybody's time <laughs> like a jerk. 
No, no, no. We're just trying to fill the airspace. So I understand. Podcast, I should know, just so. mumble and everything like that. <laughs> For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I mean, the reality is God speaks full condemnation against this sort of thing. And so we pray that they would repent so they don't perish, so that they know the forgiveness of sins offered in Christ. Hmm. Pastor Andrews, any thoughts on that? Yeah, this idea uh, is becoming more common in our culture with the, the teaching of universalism is what they call it, that basically all roads lead to the same place. Everybody's going to be saved. Um, and it's really sad. It is profoundly sad to see Christian churches giving into that and slipping and falling and saying, yeah, that's true. Uh, as long as you're, you know, whatever course you're on, as long as you're believing in, in something, you're, you'll be good. Um, and that does no one any good. It's not like it, it, it helps a neighbor. It doesn't help anyone. It just allows us to believe things that are going to cause great peril and harm to our both body and soul. Hmm. We've got a couple minutes left in our show here tonight. And talking about the law, uh, as we have been during this episode, can be very heavy, uh, very condemning. I mean, we've, we've pointed out a whole lot of ways in which we utterly and completely fail. Um, and sometimes how we actively seek out ways to, to break these commandments. And so as, we, as we're talking about our, our idols um, that have been pointed out to us, uh, perhaps in this episode, the, the specific ways in which we make ourselves God and say, I know better. What gospel is there for us? Jesus, uh, all theology is Christology. We talked about that, I believe, in the very first episode, that we always want to point back to Christ. And where is Christ in this? I'd like to hear from each of you as, as, as we close here, your closing thoughts on where is Christ in, in these commandments? And what is his answer uh, to each of us here? You know, like we said before, one of the blessings to recognize is that with each commandment, God ends up giving a gift. We said, I said before, the first commandment, God gives us himself to be our God. Second, he gives us prayer. And with the third, he gives us his word. And the fact he comes to call us by this word to faith. And, it, you know, the comfort that we have here in this place comes in the fact that we have a God who willingly comes to dwell with us. The dwelling place of God is now with man as Christ willingly came and endured all the things that we have to struggle with here in this life the temptation to sin, you know, you look at the temptations of Christ and we could make a whole discussion on just that situation where Satan says, did God really say that, you know, and all these other things, you know, the dwelling place of God now is with man as he has come to dwell among us, to bring us his word, to suffer and die on the cross, to forgive that sin. And there on the cross, he willingly endured complete separation from God's love as he said, Father, for, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he does this so that we don't have to be. He does this so that because of our sin, we will not be cast out, but rather know the promises of him and know the free forgiveness of sins that we have been given because now he calls us to be with him. And as he gathers us together as his church, we join in the words of the liturgy with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. God gathers us as his guests before his throne to give us strength, to give us rest, to guide us in his word, to forgive our sins, to strengthen us in his sacrament, and to keep us in this faith as he himself dwells with us. Hmm. Amen. Pastor Andrews. It can be hard for us to admit, but the honest confession of our sins, when we look at these commandments, the idol here is me. You know, it's not not pointing fingers at somebody else. This isn't the devil's fault. You know, the devil made me do it kind of thing. This is my sinful nature uh, is, is the problem. And so when we ask that question, how does Jesus take care of that? Well, he's taken care of it. He has, in the waters of baptism, he has drowned my sinful nature. That old Adam within me has literally drowned. Uh, and to connect it again to the gospel text from this weekend, that, that parable of the vine and the branches, uh, Jesus grafted us in. I mean, we're on the vine. We are his, and he daily provides for us everything that we need. And that includes, definitely includes what the third commandment would be pointing us to, uh, confession and absolution, the Lord's Supper, uh, the place where we hear the word, where we receive the forgiveness. Uh, Christ is there. Wherever two or three gather, 
he is with us and he indeed is is blessing us uh, with that forgiveness from all of our sin. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Dirks and Pastor Andrews, for joining us today as we discuss the Second and Third Commandments in the Large Catechism. It has been wonderful talking with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us next week. If you come back next week, we have uh, Pastor Timothy Roth and Pastor Dirks is going to be back again. We are going to be going through the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Commandments. We're going to try and move through the commandments more in, in a group here because it can, it can, you can really get bogged down with the law here. And so we want to make sure that we keep moving and we're not just focusing so much on that law, but we're going to get through the large catechism. Join us in our study, the reading plan, once again, every day in the Grokmoot on Facebook. You can find links down below in the description, whether you're listening to the podcast or watching this on YouTube, the links are in the description. Find our website, crucialproductions.org. If you have any questions, send them to questions at crucialproductions.org. Once again, Pastor Steve Andrews of St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Lee Summit, Missouri, and Pastor Andrew Dirks of Trinity Lutheran Church in Arnsville, Illinois. And I am Peter Slayton, your host and executive director of Crucial Productions. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor, and we will see you next week.